millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Holtcast. Cole Petum here. As always, hope everyone is having a good summer. We've taken a little bit of a break about, I think it's been, what, two or three weeks at the least. There's been a bit of Villa-related news, so we're going to go over that, whether it be transfers, relations to the Euros, um, and all kind of that good Villa-related stuff. So, of course, we do have Sebastian Bacon here, along as Tom Nightingale and Simon O'Regan. So, Seb, we'll come to you first. How's it going? Um, very good, thanks. It's kind of nice to not have the break of constantly worrying about the next Villa result, but at the same time, the Euros just aren't doing it for me, so I can't wait to have the season back. Fair enough, fair enough. And we'll go over to Tom next. Tom, how are you? Yeah, very well, thank you. I mean, it's been uh, been uh, surprisingly busy, I guess. There's been a fair, ma- fair amount to talk about from a Villa point of view, but uh, uh, it, it's, it's nice to see the plans being set in motion uh and coming to fruition early right in the transfer market nice to have some villa representation at the euros although i agree with seb to be honest like they're decent so far but it's just it's not the same as it as uh having villa playing week after week but all in all can't complain too much absolutely and last but no means least just the oldest head here of course but the most important of all i'm always going to say this now just because (laughs) now we all know how old we are um anyways simon how's it going yeah not too bad thanks uh like the guys have said it's been quite a good start to the summer from villa's point of view um she's quite nice to see us getting business done early for a change and the yeah. Euros, I, I was really enjoying it up until that England game on Friday night. But anyway, we'll move on. <laughs> yeah, see, I don't have to worry about these things because, well, one, Canada's not in Europe. So that's one thing. And two, if we make a, Euro- a World Cup, it's going to be an absolute kind of, I don't know, it's going to be brilliant if that ever happens. But uh, let's hopefully uh, see more own goals. If you guys haven't seen that clip of that own goal against, I think it's Canada versus Haiti or something with a goalkeeper who's actually Canadian-born or something like that. So... <laughs> Thank you for being an agent and helping us into the unlikely. But nonetheless, let's see Junior Hoylet at the World Cup. That's all I'm going to say. Um, but albeit, let's get into Villa-related news because I don't really want to talk about the Canadian national team too much because there's not too many positives there. Um, of course, like we've said and touched on, uh, Villa have had a few transfers. Very positive in kind of my mindset. Uh, we're going to kind of rope them all in together because, of course, Emmy Buendia has joined, I think it was like a week and a half ago now. Of course, Ashley Young has signed on a free transfer as well um, within the last few days. So we'll kind of rope those into one talking point and just kind of talk about Villa's kind of transfer dealing so far. It's been very quick, thorough. They're getting kind of everyone embedded quickly and nicely, and it's good to see. Um, I don't know how many times personally, especially only supporting Villa probably since, what, 2010-ish, you could say, maybe 09 early on. But it's been maybe a lot of late transfer dealings for kind of my prime Villa memories, and it's been a lot of poor late transfer dealings in my prime Villa memories, to say the least. Um, if I didn't shout out Kieran Richardson, then I am going to. So it's the fifth time probably in a row in a podcast that I've said his name. But nonetheless, let's go to Seb first. Seb, what have you made of these signings in particular? And yeah, just let me know what you think. 
Yeah, I think they've been really astute, to be honest. I mean, that Buendia signing, it really gets me excited. You look at his stats, 39 appearances last season, 15 goals, 17 assists, which is a championship record. He was involved in 42% of Norwich's goals in a team that broke a championship record for most goals scored in a season. He averaged a goal every 270 minutes. Now, I don't know how that compares to Watkins' season in the championship, but I don't think it's too dissimilar. And Watkins didn't have a bad first year in the Prem, didn't he? Um, In his first year in the Prem, he got third overall for players dribbled past, which shows that he's comfortable on the ball. You know, he's quick. He's agile and, you know, many people have said it. The main reason he's here is to take that focus off Jack. The reason Barkley was here but didn't quite manage to do last season. He can play anywhere across the front four. And the main thing that I saw is he only missed two games last year through injury. Now, with Jack somewhat becoming injury prone, you know, he tends to have a slightly bad injury every season which keeps him out for about 10 games being having someone that's or obviously not on Jack's level but on a very good level attacking wise being able to create chances it takes the pressure off having to rush Jack back if an injury were to occur so it puts us in a more comfortable position perhaps yeah absolutely Tom how do you feel about this I mean like I've said and Seb's touched on as well it's been early business but it's been uh, promising to say the least uh, it's brilliant isn't it it's, it's we've talked about it in the past that uh the clear benefits that it's going to offer Villa having been uh not only safe from relegation for months before the end of the season but in a competitive position it you, you can plan in a way that you haven't been able to plan for the past decade or however long it is and I really think we're seeing the rewards of that being reaped already like the Brendier signing um to be quite honest, I never thought we were actually going to get him. I know there'd been a lot of talk about it, but I just, it was the kind of thing where I was like, you know, maybe we'll have some interest and then Norwich will use that and he'll go to like an Arsenal or somebody like that. But hey, ho, uh, we, we've actually got him and it's it, it it's going to add another dimension, I think, in attack for sure. Like Seb gave Barkley some lip service there. And I think that it's the same it is the piece of the puzzle, I think, that we were hoping that Barkley would be. And with hindsight, like Barkley was never a particularly wise signing, I don't think. Goodness knows how it might have worked out if Grealish had been fit all season. And because Barkley and Jack did seem to have that kind of linker. But I think Grendier offers a lot more than Barkley offered and also plays the way that we want him to play, right? We're a high pressing team, like to put the pressure on the defence, like to move the ball relatively quickly when we can in the final third. Wendy ticks all of those boxes, can play wide, can play central. I mean, it's a fantastic signing for me. If we keep, as long as, you know, I've got no problems if we keep signing the championship player of the year. Like it's hard to have, uh, hard to have issues with that, isn't it really? And then if I can just bring it on to Young, like it, it's, it's interesting because the Brendia signing is incredibly exciting, but I'm almost as excited about signing Ashley Young. And I think it's partly the, obviously there's partly the nostalgia. He's a, you know, if you've watched Villa play in the last 10, 15 years, then it's pretty much guaranteed he was one of your favourite players, at least at the time. Um, whatever you may think about him leaving for Man United. And that's a debate that I just can't be bothered to get into because players leave, get over it. Um but the the young signing, like it's come from, for me at least, it's come from nowhere. It sounded like he was going to go maybe to Watford, going to go to Burnley possibly, I think, to play a similar kind of role as he's going to be playing with us, which is that 
experienced dressing room leader who also gets a surprising amount of game time, I think. But just how can you not feel good about that signing? Like, it's not as if he's been away from Villa Park for years and he's sort of drifted around the leagues and his standards fallen. Like the guy won Serie A last season and not only won Serie A last season, but playing for an Antonio Conte side who he works his players like horses is in, in the Bielsa sort of mold of, you know, making sure everyone's at peak physical fit- fitness and everything. And I think if, if his record since leaving Villa and the amount of games he played last season and the success he had last season for Inter doesn't convince you, then uh, I think you're crazy, to be honest. It's a no-brainer for me to add that seniority figure who's also still playing at a really top level. So to get those two signings done so early, uh, for me, it's incredibly exciting and a real sign of how far we've come, even in the last 12 months as a club. Yeah, 100%. Simon, how do you feel about it? I mean, of course... We've all kind of mentioned Emmy Buendia, how exciting he can be and to see a, a familiar face and Ashley Young. I mean, all in all, it's just great business so far, isn't it? Yeah, well, I think the Buendia one, uh, we could look back on that in maybe a year's time and, and think best is like a real sort of statement signing because it's not only what he what we hope that he'll bring to us on the pitch, which I've no doubt he will be a success on the pitch, but it's the fact that we beat Arsenal to him and like, I mean, I, I like Tom, I never really kind of thought that we were going to sign him because as, as much as, you know, we've kind of laughed at Arsenal this season because they have provided great banter. But when you, they are still, you know, a big name and they've been, I think they've been like after Brendan for the last 18 months. So to come in and, and take their number one transfer target and from like various reports you've seen, the wages offered were exactly the same. He chose Villa over Arsenal and I think that shows the direction that we're going in as a, as a club uh, I think it's it's something to get really really excited about and it shows the ambition and it's more likely to persuade Jack to say not that I think he's going anywhere but we'll get on to that later um, but with Ashley Young as well like uh, Tom said it's an absolute no-brainer we've got like, the youngest average age squad I think we've got in the league and this summer, we've lost Heaton, El Mohamedi and Neil Taylor. Now, okay, Taylor and Heaton didn't play last season. But they're three very experienced heads, very uh, popular and well-liked in the dressing room. So if you lose an experience like that, you know, we've still got a very young team. To get someone like Ashley Young with all his experience um, and who can cover both full-back positions, you can also put him further forward if you desperately needed to, needed to if you had a few injuries. Um, I just, I'm, I'm really, really happy. Like, like Tom said as well, I, I came out of nowhere. Like, I just, I didn't expect it at all. And then when you saw, like, you know, the rumours on Twitter that it was coming and then, like, a day later it was there. And I was, uh, I, was I was pleased to see him back because he, uh, yeah, he's, in all my time at, at the Villa, he, he'd probably get into my all-time 11, to be honest. Like, he was, for those four years, he was at Villa. He was absolutely incredible. So, it's, it's quite nice to have Ashley back, I must say. Yeah, 100%. And there's this kind of stereotype now, and I think it's getting a little bit better in terms of it's almost as soon as you hit, say, what, 33 in most cases. it's People look at players as basically past it, but I feel like with the science out there, how fit everyone is and just kind of how modern-day society is in terms of professional athletes, it's you see more and more players going to 35, to 36, even to 37. I mean, it's not too long ago that we had a very old, you would say, John Terry leading our back line, albeit in the championship. It's it, it's, a, it's a more happening thing now, more than ever. And I, I think the one thing, and I, I'm so glad, Simon, you brought up Arsenal, because I think it's hilarious. I just, 
I look at them and I, I think with them, they were scoffing at the fee originally. And I'm thinking it, it just shows how ahead Villa are in the mindset of clubs like that. They're still in it. Well, we're a top six. We should be in the super league. So like team kind of thing or league, I should say, I, I don't know. Like just because you're, still think you're big bad arsenal like you're not you have to adapt or die like other clubs are nipping to your players and i just think it's hilarious how they think just because you're arsenal or whoever you can just get that player and i like the little south american contingent that that we're kind of bringing so now we have agents in brazil we have agents in argentina as well so you know what neymar leo messi hit us up it's it's all good i know that's never gonna happen but We'll wait and see. Can I just add Cole on you? Yeah. You're talking about um, nipping at the heels of teams like Arsenal or whatever. There's, I think, honestly, there's a real opportunity here this summer. Because if you look at teams like Arsenal, like there's, the amount that their stock has fallen in recent years, and even particularly in the last 12 months, is just incredible. Considering we all grew up with Arsenal uh, as at least a semi-power you know, in, in the Premier League. Whereas mm. now, like not in Europe, they're not can't you know they're being beaten to players by the likes of us you know and and then you look as well at Spurs I think because look at Spurs's manager search at the moment they can't attract an elite boss to save their lives like they're trying so hard to attract an elite manager and they just can't I think Kane is a lot more likely to leave Spurs than Grealish is to leave Villa again we'll get on to Grealish but there's a real opportunity I think to fight to take the place of these Arsenals and these Spurs in the league. Like Le- we've already seen Leicester do it in recent years. Now we've got, you know, for a start, we've got the recruitment guy that Leicester had who brought Kante and people like that to the club. But it's even more than that. Like we're building solid foundations and we're doing everything the right way so far, at least. And then you look at teams like Arsenal and Spurs by comparison and they're falling, they're really falling by the wayside. So I think the start of the summer has been so promising. And if we continue in this vein, I really think there's no reason we can't be talking, looking at top six, top eight, top six, really, next season. Um, Obviously, you don't want to get ahead of yourself, but (laughs) there's a gap to be filled, right? Yeah, it's, see, well, basically, um, we shouldn't talk about Arsenal and Spurs too much because some page will take this and say we're obsessed. So um, I'm sure that's probably incoming in the future. But um, according to Tom, North London is an absolute fire in panic mode. So it's uh, kind of brilliant to see in some kind of instance. But no, it's, I mean, it's in every sport. And for some reason, you just have fan bases, especially in football. And it goes through cycles. There's cycles of dominance for certain clubs. Like go back 20 plus years, there's teams all over the championship and arguably league one that were riddled in the old first division or the start of the Premier League. It Things go through cycles and some teams just won't adapt to it and refuse to. And it's because unfortunately they have owners that could care less about the actual club and care more about their pockets. But anyways, we're not here to talk about Arsenal and Spurs just kind of caring more about profits than anything, because if we were, we could be here probably for about six months constantly, but let's get over to uh, Villa's first uh, confirmed sale of the summer. That being Bjorn angles, of course, going to Royal Antwerp. I uh, made 19 appearances for Villa. And I think the last time, if I'm thinking correctly, he played for us was in the four nil loss to Leicester city uh, right before the world just kind of came to a stop during, during COVID. And unfortunately, when I think of Bjorn angles myself, um, I think of the, uh, the loss to Spurs more than anything. And it's kind of sad in my opinion, to kind of look at him and think of that being his like one defining moment because it was just so frustrating, but nonetheless, uh, but I'll come to you. I mean, 
it's one thing to say it just didn't work out, but what do you make of the sale in particular? And if anything, who do you think could be a suitable replacement? It was one that I wasn't expecting. I didn't believe that we were going to go for another centre-back because we had all that riddle that it was going to be a quiet transfer market. You know, we'd get our dealings done that needed to be done and then not really worry about anything else. But the fact that he's outgoing means that we'll for sure need to get someone in because you can't go into a season with three centre-backs. I think the last time we did that, it was under Bruce when we let Elphick go on loan and you know how that ended up. So, um, yeah, we'll need to get someone else in. In terms of names, I don't think I'm too sure who, but touching back on Engel's career, he was unlucky in a sense. I think the first five, ten games he came in and he formed a really good partnership with Mings and hence the Mingles. And, you know, fans started to get on top of that. It seemed as though he understood what it meant to be a Villa player. I think that iconic photo of him, you know, having a go at the police at Crystal Palace away to try and almost calm things between the fans, you know, will go down as a good moment. And also his header against City at Wembley, which was inches away, just almost reduces me to tears every time I think about it. But you touched a second ago on having owners that care. And it's really interesting because just going off on a little sidetrack, the Bucks progressed to the final last night, obviously owned by Wes Edens. And they've got a player, and I'm going to try and pronounce his name, and it's probably not going to go well. I think it's Yanis Antetokounmpo. I don't know whether I've butchered that. Yanis, if you're watching, I'm sure you are. Of course, you're a massive fan. Then I'm sorry. But... Just recently, they signed him to a new five-year deal worth apparently $228 million, which is a record NBA deal. So, you know, there's similarities there between the Bucks and Villa in the terms that they've progressed massively and they're making big strides. And obviously, they've got this one key player, where's Grealish, Yanis, and they're tying him down and they just won't let him leave. So, touching on Grealish... You know, I think he's safe, just like Yanis is. And I think Villa, if we could get to a final next season and progress in the Bucks' footsteps, then, you know, Wes Edens will certainly be a very happy man. Yeah, I think all we need, Seb, is a feeder club. And then we're we're basically set for world domination, to be honest, at this rate. But, Simon, I'll come to you. I mean, going back to angles, I mean, it is unfortunate that it just hasn't worked out. But I guess, for one, what have you made of his kind of short, appearance spell at Villa and I guess I'll ask the same question I asked Seb who could you see replace him if you had any kind of uh, crazy thoughts out there um in terms of a replacement I I honestly wouldn't have the first clue uh, who that could be but I mean it it all depends on whether they they just wanted to get someone in as a backup or if they thought there was an opportunity to go and get someone to challenge for first team spot as I say, I, I, I'm not clued up enough on, on players out there and out about in Europe as who it could be. And Strangles himself, I think yeah, he started off okay the first month or two, but ultimately, I just don't think he was good enough. I, th- I think he was. I, I don't think he was quick enough to play. In, certainly, in the back two in in the Premier League. I remember, I think it was Southampton at home just before the Christmas in his first season. And then we lost 3-1 and he got done a couple of times with just a simple ball over the top. 
I believe like Shane Long beating for pace. So and that kind of says everything you need to know about how quick angles were. So it, it's just one of those. It, it, it didn't work out. You, you kind of you hoped it would. It looked good at the start, but uh, I just don't think he was cut out for the Premier League. And yeah, I mean, we weren't in a good place anyway towards the back end of that season. So everyone was struggling, but the the form of Konza after Project Restart and you know how him and Mings have gone this season. The angles was never getting anywhere near a first team spot, so it's probably for the best. So did we get a fee for him? Do you know, or has there been any talk of how much we got? Or I haven't seen anything to be honest. If anything, realistically, it's probably rather low, and we took a hit. But mm. I, yeah. I think I think that's the danger of. Sorry, Tom. I'll get to you in a second. I think just quickly, it's it's the kind of danger zone you kind of get in when you're just kind of getting players you take either a punt on or you know what you might be used for a couple seasons while we stabilize and you know what hopefully hopefully there's no one key but the next few sales we actually make are profits and that's what you'd hope for but tom go ahead yeah i mean i was just gonna say on angles like it's just the the brutal reality of football is sometimes like your, your team just moves on without you and that's exactly what's happened with angles i think really like we got him and he seemed like he was you know, it seemed like he would have been a decent centre back if he'd stayed fit and he'd have put run running games together. But the the reality is, you know, he got got that injury and we've just moved on. You could tell the fact that it took him so long to start getting back on the bench. Um, and there's just like it, it's it's one of those for me where it's I hate to be brutal about it, but in like twelve months' time, I'm barely going to remember that he played for Villa. Um, and it's just the way it goes, right? It's just the way it goes. Like if he'd have if that header at Wembley had gone in, very different story, instant hero, but. Um, I remember him for letting the ball run under his foot and letting Son score that winner. Um, and I think in terms of moving on from him and, and getting a replacement in, I was I was expecting Engels to go this summer. I didn't see why he would still be here at the end of the summer, to be honest. He seems like the kind of player he's probably going to want first team football. We'll definitely get it in Belgium. Um, and then in, in terms of a replacement, like I think it's pretty well established now that Mings, Mings and Concert thankfully touch wood don't seem to get injured very often they don't really seem to get suspended very often so whoever we bring in is definitely going to be uh, a backer I would say already if if Danny was here I know he'd be shouting out uh, Courtney Horses uh, singing Courtney Horses praises um, but I think it's very it's firmly established that Horses are first choice backup so to speak and very very capable whenever he's come in so I'm expecting a sort of Rob McKenzie special uh, plucking a young centre back from a European league might not see that much of the next season, uh, and then see how it goes from there. But I think we'll very much be bringing in sort of like a secondary backup option, presumably young with room to grow. Um, I think I have seen some talk about maybe bringing uh, Axel Tuanzebe back. I think this is just, I know that we've just re signed Ashley Young, right? But I think there's nothing that Villa fans love more than to uh, get on the, uh, the nostalgia train about players who have done well for us in the past. It's why we've had all this talk of Abraham when, for me, that makes no sense whatsoever. Um, I think to Anzebi, I think you can leave that alone. I think it's, I think it's likely to be a sort of uh, unknown gem. The thing with Engels, right, which is really interesting, is I was doing some digging when we signed Buendia to find some you know, hidden stats that would be good to bring on the podcast. And I found an absolute gem which is that he has a better tackle accuracy than Bjorn Engels over the course of his career, which I don't know whether that says more about Emmy Brendia or whether that says more about Bjorn Engels, but 
you know, if we need a cover centre-back, then I'm sure Brendia will be able to fit in really nicely. Yeah, just don't give him header sub. I think that's the one thing that you might come a fault there. But no, from all your answers, I, I'm kind of gathering that uh, we're either going to sign an experienced head for leadership. So you never know. Sergio Ramos hit us up. Um, just kidding. That'd be a walking red card waiting to happen. Or we're going to go for the next uh, Fafana or something like that. So we'll have to wait and see which way, I guess, Villa stick or twist. But nonetheless, we've kind of hinted at it. I know Seb has, at least. We might as well just get this one out of the way. It's, of course, Jack Realish. And as soon as Bendio was signed, everyone's kind of going and questioning. And even weirdly, after the Ashley Young signing, people are still thinking that these are just kind of not replacements, but just kind of filling up the team for when Jack Realish inevitably leaves this summer, apparently. So... Simon, I'll come to you because I, I know this probably annoys you more than most to a higher extent. But what are your thoughts on this absolute nonsense? Because for me, I personally, I think we have one more year with them and I think it's a make or break. But how do you see it? I, exactly like that. I I can't see a scenario where he's not a Villa player for next season. Um, the The amount of money it would take for us to consider sending him, I don't see any club offering that. You know, and man, people keep talking about Man City. Man City, they obviously spend spend a lot of money and have spent a lot of money over the last ten years, but they rarely spend huge amounts on an individual player. I still think Mares is their record signing at like fifty seven million or something, which obviously is a great deal of money. But you'd be looking at nearly another hundred million that you'd have to put on top of that to to get us to uh, Stel Grealish and. They need to sign, you'd think, either Kane or Haaland. They're not going to sign two players for over £100 million each. So that's that one out of the way. The deluded fans in, our, in North London of Arsenal who think they're going to get him for £50, £60 million, like, and I've got to the stage where I'm not even angry anymore not on Twitter. I've just sort of admired their delusional optimism on that. But um, and like the things with Grealish as well is, you know, last season when he was out injured, everyone kept saying, you know, they look how much they miss him. They need to get other people in to cope for, you know, when he is injured to take the pressure off him. So we started doing that. And all of a sudden that means, oh, well, that means you must be getting rid of him. It's like, well, hang on a minute. <laughs> You're telling us we need to get people in to supplement him. And then when we do, that means that we're getting rid of him. It's, it's just, it's, I, it seems to me that people in football still don't realise how rich and ambitious our owners are. Like they think that, they still maybe think we're owned by Randy Lerner or something. He just needs to get some money in. It really baffles me, because especially, you know, journalists and pundits who are meant to know what they're talking about. And they clearly don't. Um, I just, as I say, I, I, I can't see any way that Greenish leaves this summer. I agree with you that next season, I think we really need to have, be having a proper tilt at a top six spot because I think if we finished, we finish outside of European spot next season, then I don't think we could really justify keeping hold of him. And I think he'd be at that stage. He'd be 26 then. He'd be entitled to go, do you know what? I've given you nearly 10 years. I need to be playing Champions League football. But his love for the club, I think, is a really big thing in our favour as well. And I don't think that can be underestimated since how much he loves playing for Villa. So I think it would take lots for him to leave us. Yeah, and I, I think it's a thing too, like when you look at it, it's like you've said there, Simon, the love of the club and all that kind of stuff too. And then you also take in the fact that it's different than losing any other really player in the sense that we're covered in all bases. Like, okay, if he goes, it's going to be for a hell of a lot of money. Like 
there's reinvestment opportunity there. And I, I don't know how many times you couldn't say that in the past where players have just walked for basically nothing. And thank God we didn't sell him for uh, Josh and Oma plus uh, 20 million or whatever the hell it was uh, way back when um, that would have been the absolute steal of the century. Now looking back on it from Spurs standpoint, but Tom, let's, let's go to you and then we'll uh, move on to a bit of Euros chat before we wrap things up here. Um, I mean, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, it's kind of hard to change differing opinions on this, especially with kind of claret and blue tinted glasses on, but what do you make of this whole Grealish to Arsenal or wherever, because apparently they're signing him for 10 pounds or something tomorrow. So, you know, I'm I'm not even going to give credence to the Grealish to Arsenal stuff. I'm the same (laughs) as Simon. Like it's, that's the point now where it's, it's like light entertainment reading, isn't it? Right. Nothing to get angry about to let them carry on. Um, But yeah, I mean, you make both of you make really good points. And I think that's the key is that for me, the thing with Grealish is that if you have been not only watching Villa week in, week out, like a fan does, but, paying attention to what's happening at the club for the last 12 months or so, like we all do as fans and like the national media or fans of other clubs don't do, right? They just don't pay attention to Villa week in, week out. If you have that sort of laser focus on Villa, then you'll understand, I think, that Grealish leaving this summer, just it just does not make sense from any angle. And like you say, there's the love for the club for Grealish. Like, I uh, I know that you can romanticise that quite a lot as a fan, but I think it's a legitimate point in Grealish's case. Um, but it's not even that. It's the fact that, like we say, like I don't think anybody has any idea how rich Villa's owners are. And while I'm not like, you know, our, you know, our owners are richer than your owners, I'm not getting into all of that. But like, we just don't need to sell him whatsoever. And you know, I think we talked about this before, but look at how, another factor is, look at how much of a commercial star Grealish has become. He's so marketable. He's like one of the faces of England now, despite, you know, the fact that he doesn't get on the pitch. Um, but he's, he's one of the faces of England. He's really marketable. He's in the Call of Duty trailer, like all this stuff. Like some of it's nonsense. I don't really care. But it just shows that he's become such a commercial asset that like the, the, if you're plucking a number that our owners would consider selling him for, it's being underestimated so much. Like his market value football-wise might be, 100 million or whatever but if, if say Villa sold Grealish for 200 million pound with that 200 million pound are we really going to replace all of the things that he brings to the club captain passionate Villa fan bit like a Villa running through his veins the key difference maker on the pitch like the leader off the pitch like it's not just you'd be selling him and you'd be having to buy a top quality player to replace him it's that you would have to selling him would change the whole fabric of the club as it currently is. And it just makes no sense at all. I think nobody can, I don't think anybody can afford him. I don't really think he has any desire to leave at the moment. All we're doing, going back to signing Buendia, bringing Young in as well. I think that was a bit of an opportunistic deal that came up and it was like, hello, there's a chance to actually get this done. And then that came together very quickly, I think. But signing players like that, all it is, if you've been paying attention to Villa, you'll know that that is us as a club following through on the promises we made to Grealish when he signed his five-year deal we said to him we need you know we'll surround you with players of a similar quality and we will make a sustained push for Europe like we watch this space on that because obviously like we say if we get to like this time next year and we haven't finished top six or we haven't qualified for Europa League or particularly if we haven't even qualified for the Conference League then I think we might be having a very different discussion but for now for me it's like it's it's, any talk of Grealish leaving is short-sighted and kind of ignorant I think of the situation 
that is actually you know ongoing at Villa. Yeah, hundred percent, absolutely. Well, guys, uh, we're gonna take a, a quick break here, um, and then we'll be uh, back in just a moment with a little bit of. Uh, Euros chat to let these guys kind of go off on it because I don't know if anyone wants to actually hear a, a Canadian's point of view on the Euros because apparently we're not allowed an opinion unless you're in Europe anyway. So we'll be back in just a moment. And welcome back to the second half of this edition of the Holtcast. We're going to do a little bit of Euros chat now. I know it's Euro 2020 and 2021 season. Um, kind of confusing how they've labeled it, but nonetheless, it is what it is. But of course, you have Mings and Grealish playing for England, John McGinn playing for Scotland. You have Kalinich, who Seb has so kindly mentioned, of course, is uh, still playing and still around. So it's good to hear his name. To be honest, every time I kind of see a post of him come up, it's like, oh, yeah, he he's still around. He's still kind of relevant in our minds. Of course, you have Douglas Luiz playing for Brazil. And, of course, Emmy Martinez playing for Argentina in the Copa America. And, of course, I believe Luiz is playing for uh, Brazil in uh, the Olympics as well coming up. So congratulations to him as well on that achievement. Uh, no small feat, of course. And it's always good to see Villa players playing on any stage um aside from villa too so guys i'll I'll leave it up to you whoever kind of wants to take a kind of put their hat in the proverbial ring i guess if you have a euros topic you guys want to talk about or rant or rave go ahead i'm canadian so i have no kind of hat in this proverbial ring that i just mentioned so i guess it'll be simon because he unmuted (laughs) simon take it away (laughs) um well i I mean, I'll, I'll let the other guys uh, talk maybe more about Greenish, but I, I just wanted to mention, I was really something about Tyrone Mings and that he's, and I mean, it's probably a worrying thing, but the fact is he's probably been England's best outfield player across the two games so far, which, as I say, maybe, you know, says more about how poor we've been doing going forward. But I just think the the amount of, of disrespect that was being put on his name in the week or two leading up to the tournaments, not just from the fans, but from pundits as well, who constantly talk about how we should be getting behind the players. Yet, before the opening game against uh, Croatia, you had Rio Ferdinand saying, I wouldn't have even had him in the squads, basically, let alone starting. And then, like, it, it, how is that going to help? But Mings has been... You know, excellent so far. He's, he's dealt with everything that's been thrown at him. I don't know why it's come as a surprise to so many people. And the one thing that has really annoyed me is um, when everyone, the, the criticism that they keep labelling him is, oh, he's got a mistake in him. Like John Stones is this flawless Bobby Moore reincarnated the defender. And, you know, and Harry Maguire himself is, you know, hardly a model of consistency either. Like the, the drop-off from Maguire to Mings is not, you know, you, the way that they, some people talked about it, it's like Maldini's out and you replacing him with Jorio Sikore or something. <laughs> like it's, I just think, I think it's been really harsh and how, how heavily criticised he was beforehand. And um, I'm just really pleased that he's been playing so well. And uh, I think big, big respect to him. He's done what I expected him to do. And, it can't be easy when you've got everyone, uh, you know, who's meant to be backing you, criticising whether you should even be in the squad. And part of me just wonders, and I hope that I'm not, maybe not reading too much into it, but Mings is very vocal about uh, the importance of taking the knee and speaking out on the equality matters. And it's the, uh, the level of criticism he gets compared to someone like John Stones who makes a lot more mistakes. 
you know, I, I don't want to say you know, say anything wrong, but it's, I think it's int- could be considered interesting the amount of criticism Tyrone Mings gets and that other players don't. But anyway, I'm just really pleased he's, he's, he's performed really well so far. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I think you're spot on. So, and I think it is. Um, the way I've described it before is I think that the, the discourse and the conversation around Mings is a bit sort of sinister. It's a, like you don't get this. You're not getting this kind of conversation about around other players, it, apart from whatever you think of him. Like it, it brings to mind how uh, like Raheem Sterling gets talked about in the media a lot. Um, I, I do believe there is a certain level of, unfortunately, players, particularly players of colour who are outspoken on social issues <clears throat> seem to get more of a spotlight shone on them than other people. And I think with Mings, um, Mings seems to have upset a lot, a whole lot of people, a whole lot of English football fans just through uh, wanting to champion this cause, which to me seems like a common sense cause. You know, <laughs> if a players want to take the knee to support that, why the hell are they being booed by their own fans at Wembley before European Championship games. Like, it's crazy to me. Um, and Mings, I agree with you. I think Mings has been pretty much England's best outfield player so far. Um, saw a stat, that's 12 caps now that Mings has won for England. Uh, and while he's been on the pitch, England have conceded a total of two goals. Both of those are away at Belgium. One was a deflection, one was a direct free kick. Um, so, I mean... And I think he's been he's been excellent at the Euros so far. I thought he was good in the warm up games as well. People seem to take exception to you know when he uh, sh- shoulder charged or whatever he did. It was yeah. shoulder charged, wasn't it? It was like a, it's, more, uh, it's more the forearm smash. It was, yeah, I think. Yeah, <laughs> um, but uh, when he did that in the preseason, uh, the pre tournament game, and then also he came out. Jeremy did that newspaper interview where he was like, "England need to." I can't remember exact his exact words, but England need to play a little bit dirty to win. Um, dark dark arts, dark arts. All I'm saying is, if somebody like Harry Maguire comes out and says that he gets praised by England fans, you're quite right. Yeah, you need to play dirty to win. Like everybody's got to be savvy. Other teams do it. Why don't we? Mings comes out and says it. He gets absolutely blasted for it. Um, And I feel the need. I think as Villa fans, we do feel the need to sort of passionately defend him. But it's his. He's played very well. His leadership qualities are incredible. I saw a couple of. uh, national print media jour- journalists you know, on Twitter talking about they were at the game and even over the noise of the crowd uh, in the England-Scotland game, you could hear Ming shouting, directing traffic from the back. It's exactly what you need. And uh, I-, I think that he gets so much unfair stick. And it's just been really nice to see the conversation start to change slightly, at least, maybe not with all fans, but at least with... Uh, national media journalists or again going back to the fact that people don't pay as much attention to Villa as Villa fans do obviously the conversation is slightly starting to shift having said that I'm very I'm concerned and I'm kind of expecting that for the Czech Republic game Mings is going to be dropped Maguire is going to be brought in and I bet we concede yes and we we are if that happens I don't think we'll see Mings again for the rest of the tournament which is mental to me why do you change why you break up a a defensive partnership that has kept two clean sheets in the opening games. It seems mental, but oh well. Have you seen that? Have any of you seen that video of the Mings doing his interview after the game and the Scotland fans like hurling him abuse at Wembley, calling him a shit Grant Hanley and all of that? Yeah. I think it says a lot about his character that he was perfectly fine, you know, to interact with them and to have a laugh and to have a joke. 
I think it says a lot about his character, but I think it also says a lot about how well he's played at the fact that he has, obviously for now, we don't know what's going to happen in the future, but kept Maguire out of the team because mm-hmm. I think he it was being said that he was fully fit for the Scotland game, but it was a Southgate decision to put him in ahead of him. Whereas something I'd agree with, by the way, because I think you should be played on merit and not on name and who you play for, which is something that the national team hasn't abided by in recent years. But I don't know, following along with the trend, you know, Grealish hasn't been able to get in the team. He he obviously came on against Scotland, but it was weird because I felt he was playing left wing back. I mean, I saw him at the time and it was noticeable that he was hugging the touchline almost to a point where he was scared to come into the middle. It's almost like he'd been told, look, you have your role here, stick to the touchline, pass it to the fullback, pass it backwards. If you can get it forward, brilliant. But then we took Kane off, which I think was Southgate's biggest mistake over the game. You don't take your captain and soon-to-be record goal scorer off in a game in which you're trying to find a goal. It didn't make sense. It's the equivalent of Villa being nil-nil and needing a goal and taking Jack Grealish off, or Liverpool needing a goal and taking Salah off, for example. <laughs> Man United needing a goal and taking Bruno off. It just you just don't see it. It doesn't make sense to me. In going back to the 2018 World Cup, Harry Kane scored a last-minute header against Tunisia to win us the game, and I can't remember what year it was, but Harry Kane scored a last-minute volley to equalise at Hampton Park against Scotland. So he has experience to popping up at the right moments. He's arguably one of the best strikers in the world. You know, these world-class players are able to create something out of nothing when they're having an off game. You saw it with Sterling against Croatia. I'm not saying he's in the same ilk as Kane, but he was having a poor game by his standards and then popped up with a goal, a crucial goal that we needed at the time. I think Kane would have done the same. He hadn't been in the game and he clearly wasn't having luck of the draw. But these world-class players, they're able to switch it on their head just like nothing. So taking him off seemed an odd decision to me. Well, I thought one of the other decisions was, uh, well, I first of all, not starting with Grealish, but when you're bringing him on, taking Foden off, I just couldn't understand that at all. I mean, Sterling wasn't having a great game and Sterling, if if you're playing against a team who are playing higher up the pitch with the defence, then he's great to get in behind. But Scotland was sitting so deep that Sterling was just never going to get any space in behind. Foden was at least starting to to look like he could create something. And the the thing I have with what I don't understand with the Greenish thing is that for me, I think if he plays, if he's playing for any other team in that tournament, he's first name on the team sheet. And any other nation if they had Grealish and Foden in their squad, you would build your team around those two players. I, I can't think of any country who would leave their best player on the bench for two games. Like, I, I, I'm not, I think Kane's the most important player for England in terms of if he's not there, the drop-off in quality up front is massive. But I, and yeah, okay, I'm a, bit, I'm a bit of a fan, so I'm clearly biased, but I genuinely believe that Grealish is the best player in that squad. And I, I can't for the life of me understand. Especially when you think before the tournament, every game he'd ever played for England, he'd been the best player on the pitch by quite some distance. So 
how he's only seen 20 minutes of football and how Jaden Sancho hasn't seen a single second of football so far is uh, quite strange, to say the least. It's bizarre, isn't it? It's, and like, I don't think there's been a lot of talk about Southgate having like an anti-Grealish agenda. So I don't I have to say I don't go in for that. I think that's a bit yeah. conspiratorial. I don't think that's it. I think that he's just a, seems to be a very conservative, conservative manager. I think he has some of his favourites, but I agree. Like, it's not like Grealish. I know that he was injured for a while and it's not like he came back and he like struggled to make an impact in the pre-tournament games. And he was like drifting in and out. Again. Came back. He was our best player, like demonstrably England's best player in the pre-tournament games. Um, and I just don't understand why you're right. Like taking, bring him on. Great. But why are you taking Foden off at the same time? Only, I feel like only England and Southgate could have like Grealish, Foden, Mason Mount, Jaden Sancho, and not play a combination of like a, a trio out of that four every game. Like, why are we not playing Grealish, Fount, Moden, uh, Grealish, Mount, <laughs> Foden, um, or, you know, Foden in the centre and Sancho on the right or whatever. I, don't, I just don't understand why we are wa- basically wasting what is definitely certainly in my lifetime the, 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 the biggest wealth of attacking talent that England have ever had. Like, okay, like the, 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 we, were, we were great when we had like Lampard, Gerrard, Rooney, like that. But that was more about the midfield talent, I felt, and the core of the team. Whereas now, like, we've got some of the best attacking players in Europe, certainly. And I feel like it's a very English thing to deny yourself both the pleasure and the success that would come from watching those players play together. It's just, it's weird to me. I don't get it. Well, that's the thing, because it almost seems as though you can have one exciting player on the pitch at once. And if, regardless of if he's having a good game, if you're bringing another exciting player on, it has to be them that comes off. I mean, did you see Southgate come out today and say that we shouldn't be up there challenging to win the Euros because we're not ready and these players aren't experienced enough? Half of that squad was in a Champions League final a few weeks ago. They they couldn't be more experienced if they tried. Age doesn't matter. I mean, look at Jude Bellingham. He's He's gone from playing at the pigsty down the road to playing in the Champions League and bossing the game against Manchester City. You can't get more experienced than that. You know, he's he's a year older than me and I'm sat here watching him boss the game against Man City. It, it just seems crazy to me that, you know, the two CDMs as well, that doesn't make sense to me. If you're chasing a game and you're looking to find a winning goal, you don't have Declan Rice and Calvin Phillips. I, I would have taken one of them off because neither of them were playing particularly well. Okay, yes, Phillips created the goal against Croatia, but if you're going to have two players sit back as well as your back four, you're limiting yourself because Scotland were throwing all 11 men behind the ball at that point. They were perfectly happy for the draw. There were chances to maybe take Calvin Phillips off and put on an attacking player like Jude Bellingham or like Jadon Sancho, who's ripped it up in the Bundesliga this year. And I can't understand why he's not getting a look in. There was a potential to even go three at the back. Had Maguire been fit or Ben White or Connor Cody, take one of the fullbacks off, put Reese James onto the wing position and just throw bodies forward. Because although we're not in the knockouts yet, so it wasn't the end of the world and it wasn't going to go to extra time, 
these are the games you've got to be winning because to get an advantage, and I know people will say, oh, but finishing second isn't that bad because we'll play a less difficult team. To be the best, you've got to beat the best, surely. I don't understand that mentality. Whoever we face is going to give us a difficult game and they've got to the knockouts on merit. So I just don't understand it. But the, from the 180 minutes of action I've seen so far, it doesn't fill me with confidence. No, and everyone, I'm still here, by the way. I'm just listening to these guys, so I, I didn't disappear. Um, to be fair, I probably could have went and done some like dishes or something, to be honest, and came back and just came in at the end of the chat. Maybe the session would have been over by accident. But <laughs> nonetheless... Um, it's not that I'm not interested, of course. I just don't really have a say in this because what relevance does me kind of have? But anyways, maybe that sounds sad. But regardless, the one thing I do want to ask you guys, and of course, um, I think England's next game is on Tuesday. You guys will hear this on the Monday. So I, I guess it's not really a preview, but kind of a, a look ahead. But um, whoever wants to jump in on this first can. But where do you guys kind of see yourselves into the Czech Republic game and then kind of beyond? Um. It really, I'm not. I've no idea what lineup he's going to pick. Though that's the thing. So, it it kind of we we obviously more than capable of beating the Czech Republic, but I don't think it'll be. I don't think it'll be as easy as a game as maybe some people expect. I think the I think before the tournament on paper, you probably thought Croatia would be the most difficult game, but I actually think the Czechs will probably give us the hardest one. I think Croatia they're nowhere near the force they were sort of three four years ago. Um, so it would, I don't know. I mean, we, the thing is, we're sort of, we're basically already qualified to the knockouts. Yeah. Obviously, we're not technically there, but you know, it takes something special for us to, uh, to not get through now. So it's just whether Southgate decides whether he wants to like mix it up a bit and put a few more of the, I don't know what you call the fringe players in, into the starting line to give them some minutes. Personally, if I was him, I'd still go full strength. I, I don't. A tournament, you've only got, what, six, seven games to you play to try and win it. So you put your first team out and try and win every single game. But honestly, who knows what it'll do. <laughs> um, I'm expecting us to win, but I don't think it's going to be fun to watch. England never is fun to watch, Simon. I've, I've learned that already. I mean, I was really optimistic heading into it. This is potentially we're heading into another one of those golden eras. Like you mentioned, all the attacking talent we have. Any other country would be demanding success at a tournament like this. But look, the Czechs have caused Croatia problems. The Czechs have caused Scotland problems. If we get through, then I'll be somewhat satisfied. But I'm I'm not optimistic about enduring a good game. Um, and then we'll have to see who we face in the knockouts. But either way... In the quarter, whether we face France, Germany, or Portugal in the round of 16 or in the quarters, we're going to have to play them at some point. So it's just a case of when rather than if. I mean, obviously, we could go out before we face them, but I think that would literally be the end of the world. But I'm going to wrap it up because I'm fed up of talking about England and how disappointing they are. All, all I'll say on it is. Uh... I think it's there's a I do think there's a decent chance that we might actually see Grealish against Czech Republic. I wouldn't be surprised to see him start. But then if he does start, it's kind of interesting because if you recall, you know, the when we lost to West Ham and Villa lost to West Ham this season, uh, it was Suchek and particularly Kufal who did a really great job of locking down Grealish all game. So I mean that adds a sort of Villa 
uh, element to come full circle. Uh, it'd be interesting to see, you know, uh, if Grealish does start, how he how he copes against an opponent that did a pretty good job on him last time. But I mean, I'll uh, I'll pass it back to Cole to sort of wrap it up. All I will say though, as well as England, is I'm sat here in my Wales shirt. Wales about to play Italy at the time of recording. And I've far, in, I've, like I've far uh, enjoyed watching Wales more than I've enjoyed watching England, I have to say. Um, but it's nice to see, it looks like we'll have both of them in the knockouts. And uh, I, I, I also think Scott, there's a decent chance that Scotland um, are going to beat Croatia in the last game as well. So I'm rather hoping we might get England, Wales and Scotland, but uh, we'll see. Bold shout. All I'm going to say is you're probably going to see uh, Schick score against England. I think he scored in both of his first two games. So instead of a, a half-field volley this time, or half-field goal, I should say, maybe it'll be a full field or something. You never know. Maybe a goal line clearance that somehow goes all the way and beats Jordan Pickford. Knowing Jordan Pickford, that wouldn't shock me at all. But that's uh, one man's thought about it that Again, doesn't really have his ring in this hat, but nonetheless, I can at least sit back and kind of watch all this and enjoy it because yeah, I don't have to stress about it. But anyways, guys, thank you very much for listening. And of course, thanks to Seb, Simon, and Tom for joining me. Uh, we'll probably be back in another probably week or two with uh, probably a couple transfer-related specials, uh, maybe who uh, we want to see Villa sign. Maybe there'll be more signings to discuss as well. So we'll be back with all that kind of stuff. But of course, if you want to find Seb on Twitter, it's at SebastianBacon8. If you want to find Simon on Twitter, it's at Cy O'Regan. You can find Tom on Twitter at TD Nightingale. Of course, you can find me on Twitter at, as well, I should say, at Talk Aston Villa. Tweet the team at 7500 to Holt. This outro is getting longer and longer, I swear to God. Um, anyways, and of course, you can email Holtcast at gmail.com. This whole outro is literally the thing I probably have in my nightmares all the time if I forget it. But we'll leave it there. The Euros are definitely entertaining, but we can't wait for Villa to be back. And don't forget, uh, the Villa. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.